When I was um, in college, I had a friend, his name was Chris, and he called everybody dog. You know people like that? What's up, dog? He called everybody dog. He's, he was about as skinny as a rail, um, and he was one of my sweet mates. And so you know what sweet mates are. Um, I've been thinking about college because the boys graduated and they're going to go to college. So in a suite, there's like um, eight guys, you know, two to a room, and then you have a common area, which is called the bathroom. Um, so I went to his room one time, and you know, when you're in college, you're always hungry, right? Always hungry. You eat tons of food, and then you're hungry again. That's why you put on the freshman 15. I went to his room one night, and this is what I saw. Chris Caudle is um, sit, he's laying in his bed. The lights are totally out in the room, and all there is is the glow of the TV. You know what that's like? Remember that? Just the glow of the TV filling the room. And so um, while he's sitting in there watching TV, all the lights are off. I just walked in there, and I got on the other bed. I was like, what's up, Chris? He went, what's up, dog? <laughs> Not much. And he was, you know, eating food. And I said, well, you got any more food? He goes, I got a pack of donuts up there if you want some donuts. It's like, cool, I'll take some donuts. I got the donuts. And I noticed in the glow of the room, of the glow of the light, it were, they were sweet 16 donuts. Come on. I mean, if that didn't get you going, that should get you going. Sweet 16 powder donuts? Not, don't waste your time on the chocolate. That's stupid, right? Powder donuts. And you know they're good when you can't breathe when you eat them. Right? Because you can't inhale as you eat. You're like, <coughs> right? And if you exhale, it's all over people, right? So you kind of have to be like, <gasps> and then take another, you know, that's how you have to eat these. So I'm eating these donuts, you know, I'm on the bed. I'm hanging out with my friend. He's calling me dog. It's fantastic. Until I felt, I felt something moving in my mouth. I was like, what is going on? I said, dog, what is it? What is, turn the light on. He turned the lights on. I looked in the back, they're crawling with ants in that bag. And they were on my hand and my arm, and I was spitting everywhere, you know, like chunks of ant were going everywhere. It was, it was nasty. So let me just tell you this. This is not your big idea, but you won't forget it. Bad things happen when you can't see. Right? Bad things happen when you can't see. Now, this morning we're talking about um, this little series. Uh, it's, a one, it's a one standalone message called The Church I See. And this is all about vision. This morning's all about vision. Proverbs 29, 18. Now, depending on what um, version of the Bible you have, it either says where there's no vision that people perish, or if you have the NIV, which like 99.9% of people do, it says where there's no revelation that people cast off restraint. Um, Two kind of different versions right there, right? But I think the, the main point is vision's pretty important. Pretty important. If we, don't, if we don't have a vision, if there's no revelation of what we're supposed to do, like people just like, I'll do whatever I want. Parents, can I get an amen? Right? Put five or six kids in a room. Don't give them any revelation about how they might possibly should act. And they'll make it up. And it won't be peaceful, Right? In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, Habakkuk is one of those books in the Old Testament that you didn't know was in the Bible, but it is. God gave a command, and here's what it was. He said, write the vision down. Now, can you imagine having that job? 
because it had to be on it had to be on tablets, right? So write the vision down. Scratching on some scrolls. Write the vision down. And then he said, make it plain. So it's one thing to write it down. It's another thing to make it plain so that you can run with it. Write it down, make it plain so that we could run with it. And so what, if we don't know where we're going, one, we don't know when we get there. And two, we don't even know if we got there. Sometimes a lot of activity does not necessarily mean that we're going to know where we're going or even get where we're going. So this morning, my goal is this, make the vision plain so you and I can run with it. The church I see. Let me give you a few disclaimers before we even get into it. One, vision is about where we're going not always about where we are. So here's what that means. As I'm talking this morning, there's going to be corporate gaps. Now, we say this a lot at the church. Where there's a gap, you can put one of two things in that gap. You can believe the best or assume the worst. So as I'm talking this morning about the church I see, there will be corporate gaps. There will be times that I say something, and here's what you're going to think. I'm just giving you permission to think this. You're going to think, that's not how we are now. And that gap requires grace. There will also be personal gaps. There's going to be things that I say and you're going to say to yourself, not to your neighbor. And hopefully your spouse doesn't say it to you. You will say it to yourself. That's not how I am. And that gap requires repentance, which leads to grace, right? So just know as we're kind of going through this, there'll be times you go, huh, I don't know if I'm seeing that in me. I don't know if I see that in us. It's because vision's about where we're going. Here's the second thing to remember. A vision for the future means nothing without action in the present that moves us toward that vision. Um, I do occasionally like to run, although in the summer, less than other times of the year. I could tell you all day long that I have a vision to qualify for the Boston Marathon, and I do. But if I never run, am I going to qualify for the Boston Marathon? No. So do I really have a vision for it? Probably not. I can have a vision all day long, but if I don't have action now that leads to that vision, then talking about vision is pointless. That's one reason why if you're sitting here today and you're a millennial, one, if you're a millennial, do you even know you're a millennial? Everybody likes to use that phrase a lot, right? One thing I know about millennials is, and this will surprise everybody that's not a millennial, because you think, every, you think everything's about vision and mission. Millennials hate that. You say the word vision and mission, and millennials do this. You know why? They've heard it talked about to death and see no action. So the minute I said, oh, today's about vision, if you're a millennial, you're like, oh, great. Because you're so used to seeing talk and no action. That's why when we talk about vision for the future, we got to have a plan for now. We can't just dream. We've got to wake up and do the things that lead to the dream. And when we do that, that ensures today's big idea. So here's the big idea. It sounds really bold because it is. The church I see is the church will be. Everything I'm going to describe to you this morning is who we will be. Some of it is who we are now. Most of it is. But it's who we're going to be because Jesus is going to ensure that. So here, with all that in mind, I got five things I'm going to give you. 
five things that I see in the church. You're going to want to write these down, if nothing else, okay? Here we go. Here's the first one. The church I see always sees Jesus first. Now, on the screen, I think you have the word priorities. Am I right? So this morning, God shifted that word for me, okay? So you can, priorities, is, it's good, but here's what happens when we say the word priority. When we say the word priority, we think checklist, don't we? So, okay, make sure I see Jesus first. Got that. Went to church. Listened to Paul preach. Even sang a line during worship. Gave a couple dollars. Check. And then we go Monday through Saturday, and we, like, forget about all that. But, oh, whoop, I made him first priority because I was in church on Sunday. So this morning I think that a better word for that is posture. We're, the church I see sees Jesus first, always sees Jesus first. We take a posture that bows before Jesus. He is supreme in our lives. We said this from the beginning that everything we do is about Jesus, always when you leave today, you can stop by the VIG table and pick up one of our core value cards, and you'll see these core four values that we have. We've got a lot of values, but these core four. Just to drive home that it's about Jesus. Listen, we believe in the undeniable message of Jesus, the unbreakable body of Jesus, the uncontainable kingdom of Jesus, the unexplainable worship of Jesus. The church I see always sees Jesus first. And when we're intentional about being about Jesus when we're intentional about seeing him first, we'll find that we value the word, we value the church, we value the evangelism of the world, and we value worship. That's the church that I see. It's always about Jesus. Always. And when that happens, I love number two. The church I see acts like the church in Acts. That's power. A couple of years ago, we did, and we were in a coffee shop, we did a series through the book of Acts called Reacts, one of my favorite ones. I just loved going through the book of Acts. And I, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. When I read Acts, I see a church that I want to join. I love stories in the book of Acts. And when I see the church I see acts like the church in Acts, and here's a couple ways that that look, here's how that looks. Listen, just a few ways. A church on mission, even if that's a little on edge. If we act like the church in Acts, we'll be a church who's on mission, even if that seems to be a little bit on edge. Countless stories in the book of Acts where God's like, hey, I'm sending you here. I want you to go do that. And they're like, I'm not sure. How many times did Paul say, uh, I got out of the city? Barely. Always on the edge. If we're a church that acts like the church in Acts, We'll be a church that's committed to community, even when community is hard to commit to. Now, I don't want to get too graphic about it, but there's a pretty epic story in Acts where the people who'd been saved a long time were trying to figure out what to do with people who had been saved a short time, and it involved men, private parts, and a lot of pain. Yeah, the way you laughed just then says you didn't get it. I don't know how to help you get that. It involved sharp objects and cutting. Can you imagine? You think it, we think it's hard to get people to come to community group now. 
hey, listen, we've got community groups for you, but to get in, there's a surgical procedure at the door, men. Huh, that's a tough sell. They were arguing about what you should have to do to be a part of this thing called the body of Christ. Now, thankfully, they decided not to go that route. <laughs> and all the, all the men who aren't Jews were like, yay, uh, yay. That's a hard community. Sometimes, sometimes community is hard to commit to. But the church that I see that acts like the church in Acts, in Acts, they, they were in it. Even when it was hard. When they got up and said, hey, we're all about community. And the next week, two people died when they faked it at the offering. They were still about community. Just a little tougher, Right? Church in Acts is committed to community even when community is hard to commit to. The church of Acts is full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, I want to, I want to be a church full of the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to see, church I see, sees people getting healed. The church I see tells supernatural stories so often that they're just natural. The church I see comes in on a Sunday and says, can I give a testimony? Because just yesterday I was out somewhere else on a ball field shopping in a grocery store, and I got to lead somebody to the Lord. I'm, we're full of the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit changes everything. The Holy Spirit took a man like Peter who denied Jesus and turned him into a man who preached about Jesus and died upside down because he wasn't worthy to die the way Jesus died. The Holy Spirit changes everything. The church that I see understands that, and can't get enough of the power of the Holy Spirit. The church I see will be a church that won't stop following Jesus no matter the cost. The church I see is a church that takes ground by laying down our rights. We talk about this all the time. The early church gained credibility because they were the ones that stayed, laid down their rights, and served their enemies. That's what caused the church to grow. We want to take ground. I mean, we're talking about this building. They started construction last week. We're taking ground in downtown Albemarle. Not so we can say, here we are, finally. But so we can say, here we are to serve you. We, we want to take ground, but we do it by laying down our rights. And then this is important. I'm learning this. The church I see is a church that values impact over size, but is not afraid of either. I, I got to teach... Um, some church planners about how to have a big vision in a small town. I think that's funny. What a funny title, right? You should have a big vision anywhere, but whatever. And here's what I, here's what I realized as I was teaching them that. If, you, if you're a college football fan, you know that probably the most successful college football program in recent history is Alabama. Ugh, it almost makes me throw up to say it, but it's still true. 
I mean, they've, they're so successful. They've won so many championships. They have people who have left their program and gone to the NFL and changed cultures of NFL teams. They have coaches who have gone to other programs and changed the cultures of other pro- programs. They have a huge impact. But you know what's the truth? Their size is the same size as every other college football team. Size is not the answer. Impact is what we're looking for. And yet if you read the church in Acts, they would have thousands added to their number daily. And so obviously size is not something God's against. But man, if that becomes more important than impact, then all we have to do is give away a lot of money every Sunday and we'll get a crowd. We're not doing that today. I'm sorry to tell you that. Impact over size. But we're not afraid of either. So how does the church become like the church in Acts? Uh, This is the next thing that I see, and this one's a little bit weird, so make sure I explain it right so you don't get mad, offended, and throw things at me, okay? (laughs) Here we go. The church I see is a busy body, not a bunch of busy bodies. I'm going to say that one again because I love it so much. The church I see is a busy body, not a bunch of busy bodies. Okay, let me just try to explain what that means. This is about purpose. This is about purpose. Activity without unity turns into calamity, okay? So a bunch of busy bodies, individual people just being crazy busy, lots of energy, lots of activity, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a good result, right? You got to have unity. You got to have a busy body, singular, One body going in one direction with one vision. It's not enough to be a bunch of independent people doing independent things. Purpose comes when we are one body, united around one mission. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, this would be a good thing for you to read later today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, Paul does a fantastic job just talking through how we're all parts of one body how we use our gifts to serve the body. One body, many parts. When we're one body, busy about one mission, we give honor to parts that are different from us. But when we're a divided body, focused on only our part, we lose sight of how we need others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Why would they say that? Because the head's looking at the feet going, you're not a head like me. I don't need you. I just need heads. And that's busy bodies, not one busy body working together in unity for one mission. Listen, be busy doing what you're gifted to do. Paul says in verses 28 through 30, he starts listing all these gifts that he's given, God's given to the body. And he starts asking the questions, do all have this gift? Do all have that gift? Do all have this gift? And the answer is no, 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 and no. But what gift do you have? Use it. Be a busy body. Know your place. Do your thing that God's given you to do next to people who know their place and are doing their thing that God's given them to do. And when that happens, we're one busy body. Listen, we're not moving into that building to just be open one day a week and go, sweet. 
I envision a busy body. And for that to happen, the church I see has to have everybody knowing who they are, what they're called to do, and doing that for God's glory. When we're busy doing what we're gifted to do, and when we love others while they're doing what they're gifted to do, we live out 1 Corinthians 13. So Paul's talking about these spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and then in chapter 14, and right in the middle he's like, whoop, here's the glue that holds it all together. Just love each other. Be one body, one busy body, not just a bunch of busy bodies. When that happens, when we're unified in purpose, something amazing happens, and I love this. This is the fourth one. The church I see is seen by the city. If, if the gathering shut down right now, God, pastors hate questions like this, but would the city even care? It's like five or six downtown churches. If all of us just closed, would downtown be different? Because we weren't here. The church I see is a church that is seen by the city that would be missed if it was not in the city. John 13, 35 says that you've heard campfire songs about this. You know, they'll know that we're Christians by our love. It says that because we love one another, they will know who we are following, that we are disciples of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, he says, um, our good deeds actually shine before men and they notice them and give praise to God. When we are one body with one mission, the church that I see is seen by the city. We have presence in the place. It means the church I see is full of people who get asked to sit on boards, not because of political power, but because we're present in a city. Because people look at the gathering and say, you care about us, so we want to hear what you have to say. I see a church that marks the city with its presence in the city. I love this. When we did our 40-day walk, what I kept, the phrase that kept going through my head was, the city looks so much different when you walk through it instead of drive by it. You see people, and they see you. We had conversations with people. You learn you learned their needs. You learn how you can love them. And the church that I see will be seen by those people. We're not getting a bunch of land in a big building outside the city. It's not who we are. The church I see is not sitting on a bypass somewhere with a lot of land to build a mammoth campus. The church I see has space in the city, that it can share with the city. And we, we see shared space in that building all the time. Plays, concerts. Listen, something as simple as this. I know for a fact that there was a need at one point for a remote office because people that worked at a certain company, had, they had to drive like 20 minutes just to go back and fax something. 
And I'm hearing the story going, are you kidding me? Well, let's put a fax machine in the lobby. You can use it anytime you want. We have the biggest parking lot in our city that will be open without signs that say don't trespass. We envision a shared space because God has blessed us to be a blessing. I see a church that will be seen by the city. We will feed the hungry there. We will serve the broken there. We will open our new space. We will share the venue, love the families and businesses around us. Because it's a church I see is committed to the place where God has planted us and understands the cost of saying yes to that calling. I don't know about you. Maybe you want to be invisible. I don't. And so this is one of those days when I have to say to you that the church I see is not invisible. And if you desire to be invisible, we're not the place for you. And we need your seat. Because the church I see will be seen by the city. Because we will love them well. Not just worship on Sundays well. And so here's the last thing I see. The church I see pays the cost because it values the vision. One of the stories, this is passion. One of the stories in the gospel that has always intrigued me is in Mark chapter 14, um, verses 3 through 5. And it's this woman who walks into a room and she has this alabaster jar and she breaks it and she pours it out on Jesus. And um, I mean, full disclosure, y'all don't, y'all, you never want to be in my mind. My mind, man, I, I get, I wear myself out, okay? So I'm going to give you a little peek into my mind. And then again, this is, God, I hope this, I hope this day goes well. I, I love you guys. That's, I don't want to scare you, right? But I, I do so many mental gymnastics in my head. When I, I try to honor the word, I try to understand it, I try to obey it. I do so many mental gymnastics in my head. So here's just a sneak peek in, in, we should have a segment called Inside Pastor Paul's Brain, right? It wouldn't take long, but here we go. I'm always, I'm always weighing, like, how are we good stewards with the resources that we have, right? So I read this story about a woman who comes in and pours perfume on Jesus' feet. And first of all, I'm like, that's super weird, but I bet his feet smelled great, Right? And then the comment that really grabs me is, why this waste? That's in there. Why this waste? This could have been sold at a year's salary and the money given to the poor. Highlight year's salary. Now, the part that is weird in my head I don't know if you've ever ever read Radical by David Platt, but you probably should. It's a phenomenal book that will challenge you. And when I first read it, my first reaction was get rid of cable, sell the house, move the family to some foreign country in a hut and preach Jesus. All those are good things. I just suddenly, I just swung so far. I mean, like Wendy was just holding on. I mean, she loves Jesus too, but she's like, come back to me, please. Paul, here, right now. I just, in my head, I just, and that's, that's not a bad place. I'm just letting you know, and I went there so quickly. And 
And this is one of the stories that I would wrestle with all the time. Why this waste? Because the church I see pays the cost because it values the vision. And here's a woman who walks in. i got to wrap this up. She walks in and she sees Jesus. And he said she was preparing his, him for burial. She was preparing him. She understood in that moment the vision. And she paid the cost of it. There will always be a cost to loving Jesus in a city. There will always be a cost to wanting to see that same city love Jesus. And there will always be a cost involved when we value the vision that God has given us. It's not forced. It's not manipulated. There's always a cost. One of the worship leaders at Christ for the Nations has a song called Alabaster Jar. And in the middle of it, he's, it's live. And so he's playing and he's talking to the people that are worshiping. And he said a phrase one time about this story that I've never forgotten until right now. I'm kidding. I didn't forget it. I was just messing with you. He said, if you're still, if you're still measuring the cost, you have not seen his worth. If you're still measuring the cost, you have not seen his worth. There is value in the vision that Jesus gives. And it comes at a cost. And the church I see pays the cost because it values the vision. Now, let's talk practically about what that looks like. Our cost is $921,000. Yes, I threw up in my mouth a little too. Let's talk through that number. First, you need to know this. You've got an elder board that for two years has talked and prayed about that building. God, what do we do? How do we, how do we proceed? You've got a finance team that you don't know this yet, but you're already operating on a budget as if we're in that building. So they made sure that we... Are, that number, while it sounds huge to me, is something that we can handle. Just y'all in the 11 o'clock service. But here's what you've got to understand. That number could just like that be $3 million. One of our core values, and you'll find it in the unexplainable worship of Jesus on the core value card, is that we value simple living because we believe it leads to greater and more generous giving. And one of the things we've done here from day one is give as much money as we can to missions in a way to, to ministry, not changing. That's something we're committed to. So we have this phrase that we use with the building called simple excellence. And when you walk in the building, you'll see simple excellence but you won't see lavishness everywhere. No gold-plated things in the bathroom. What a waste that is, right? Just simple excellence. Just simple excellence. The church that I see understands the cost but does not celebrate excess. The church I see seizes the opportunity to take ground in a city to shine a light 
in downtown Albemarle and advance in faith and obedience. So let me just make sure as we wrap this up, and then we're going to, oh, I just love this. Are y'all hanging around for this? We're baptizing three today in that space. And what I love about it, it could not be at a more perfect day because the church I see is that. Not the building, but the tank of water in the building, and I'm not going to get in it. I mean, I wish I was because I love baptisms, but the church I see is not just me doing it, right? We get to watch a father baptize a daughter and a grandfather or papa or, I don't know, baptize granddaughters. You get to do that. You get to go watch that. It's going to be fantastic. Anyway, so we got to wrap this up so we can get in there. So um, $921,000, what is that? How do, we, how do we handle that? That's a big elephant, right? So with what, you, with what everybody gives now, we can already go in there and pay that. But here's what we don't want, and this is fantastic. that We, have, we love First Bank. First Bank has partnered with us, and they have said, look, we'll extend you a line of credit for $921,000 so you can, get it, you can get started, do the work, move in the building, um, I love it when people partner. And this is important that you, that you would know this. And the conversations that we've had with them, the conversations we have with them are always about God, not just about money. Like they're intrigued with what God's doing through us. And they want to be a part of that, which is awesome. Our prayer, our prayer is that if you could imba- imagine two buckets, like we have this what's next bucket here, and then we have first bank bucket over here that is a big bucket, and they've said to us, hey, reach in here anytime you need it. And our response to them is, thank you, we hope we never do. Because we hope that this bucket, through the giving of our church, grows to take care of the whole project, and we never have to use this. Now, what a story that would be to the city. The church I see is seen by the city. The church I see that burned that note on Easter morning, I can't tell you the phone calls we've had since that moment. Hey, can we help? From people that, like, want us to use their business. Because when God begins to move like that, people see that. The church I see is seen by the city. The church I see values the vision, pays the cost. So your elders have prayed. We're ready. The finance team, man, already approved it. And here's what they said. That little what's next thing right there, you know how to make that get this big? Just like every giving unit in the house, 15 extra dollars a week. That's like a cup of coffee at Starbucks, isn't it? $15, is that all right? If you were downtown last week, you saw the door come off. When you go over there in a minute for baptism, you'll see that there's already a door in place, a temporary door. Um, they'll be back this week. Everything's started. Um, our temporary uh, the, the date to move in is anywhere between November and December. The setup and teardown team, who can yell out how many Sundays are left? 25. 
25. 25. That's a good number. 25. So let me close it this way. Um, one, we are learning to put on our big boy pants and be transparent as much as we possibly can. We are not going to say things like, you know, generally these numbers, that number I gave you is the number. Um, you'll see that number on the What's Next site. If you have questions about that, ask. We want to answer those questions, okay? Um, if, you have answer, if you have questions that you want to ask and you don't, know, you don't want to ask them in person, you want to put them in an email that you'll sign with your actual name, sweet. You can send it to info at thegatheringnow.com. And we would love to answer that question, okay? Um, anytime between service, grab an elder, grab me, grab a finance team member, ask them questions. We'll answer them. If we don't know the answer, I'll, I'll get it and get it back to you. But the bottom line is that the church I see is always, number one, about Jesus. And God does amazing things through amazing ways to reach a city. And, man, he sees Albemarle. He's got a plan for Albemarle, and he wants to reach it. And he doesn't have to have a building or not have a building. We put boxes around God all the time that he didn't ask us to. He just simply asked us to obey. And so our step of obedience is, what's next? That building. But you know what happens after that building? You're going to move into that space and go, it's already full. Our leaders are idiots. But your leaders are not. Because we know that the plan after that building is that when we move in that building and it gets packed and we need to add a third service, instead of adding a third service to the glory of the gathering, we'll add a third service where we, plant a team, we train a team to go plant churches and get rid of the people, not in a bad way, that are called to go plant. Our vision's not about having a mega church in downtown Albemarle, but a church that impacts the county and the globe through that place. That, to me, is just a launching pad to the rest of the world. And we're going to build a launching pad and send some rockets out, which is going to be awesome. I feel like I should sing Rocket Man right now. But instead, I'm going to pray, and we're going to go baptize people, okay? Again, if you have questions, ask them. Ask them so we can be clear. I love it when people ask me questions because it always allows me to clarify and, man, I'm learning that you can't clarify enough, okay? Not enough. So, Father, we thank you for your vision for this city. Again, I've grown up here. I'm amazed that as much as we try to get out of this place, you're getting in this place. You have a heart to see lives changed here. Within 20 miles of this location are 100,000 people. You love them. And you have a plan for them, God. And so we, we invite you into our plans. We ask that you would, God, give us wisdom. I ask that you would provide. I pray, God, that we would be so ecstatic about your vision for this place that we would, we would do what believers do when they love you. Let's give. Not to a church or to a person or to a plan, but to you. That we would be that woman who has seen your worth and just breaks open a jar and doesn't count the cost and gives.
We pray, God, that through this church, through downtown Albemarle, man, your, your gospel would extend to the corners of the globe in ways that we still cannot even imagine. As much as we can see a church, it's going to be more than what we could ever ask or imagine. And so, God, extend to the far reaches of the earth, to people groups that are not even reached yet with the gospel. I pray they would be reached from the gathering. And I thank you that you're giving us, God, a footprint in downtown Albemarle to be able to launch people to the ends of the earth. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.